afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever in the world you may find yourself. I think I always give it away where I am based on what I start with. This is Nicole BZ, and you are listening to an episode of the Quantum Business Book Club, an ongoing series in the podcast. You know everything because you do. I am feeling like maybe I should revisit why the hell I'm doing this Quantum Business Book Club. And I've been playing with this idea of quantum. I've actually been doing doing one of my nerd, BZ nerd level deep dives. The point being, I love reading. And this first iteration of the Quantum Business Book Club, which is really like kind of the second iteration because my intention had been to host these in person, to have meetups, to be able to discuss these books in my travels because I find myself in a variety of different places all the goddamn time. And I thought this would be a really fun way of connecting. That idea was launched, I think, in like February. Obviously, a lot of time and energy goes into planning something like this. And then when it gets thrown out the window, lit on fire, burned down, you you lose a little bit of your mojo. Or at least I did. I probably shouldn't be talking about anybody else. And, you know, when an entire year or two years worth of plans get thrown out the window, lit on fire and burned down, everything changes. And I was one of the luckiest ones. I was, I was someone who got to work the whole time and who didn't experience any immediate trauma. I digress. The point being, the Quantum Business Book Club is a celebration of the books that allowed me to travel through both time and space, to connect with visionaries, with genius, with disruptive business, leadership, creatives. I feel like when I'm reading, I am quite literally time traveling. I completely lose myself. I feel as if I dissolve into space. And I can be anywhere at any time and also anyone. I'm empowered with this knowledge that is not my own. I can absorb it. I can alchemize it into my day-to-day. And I started playing with this idea that what if the divine universe source, whatever, however you want to refer to that energy, something that's bigger than all of us, like what if that's actually communicating with you and dialoguing with you through what you're listening to. (sighs) But what you're reading, what, you know, the algorithm is showing you, the conversations that you're having as someone who is easily distracted and often in their own world, presence, tuning into the moment feels a hell of a lot more fun when I think about it like that. Like, oh, maybe there's something super powerful here for me. I've even heard someone talk about a book as like an oracle deck. And with these books, especially with the Quantum Business Book Club series, all of these books are my oracles. All of these books I have turned to countless times. This one in particular, I've given away more times than count. I don't even keep a physical copy anymore because there's just no point. Amy Cuddy's presence was a complete game changer for me. And I read this one long enough ago that I don't remember if it was a recommendation. I don't remember if it was a prescription. I don't remember if it was oftentimes, you know, I listen to a handful of different book nerds and podcasts and thought leaders, and they're often talking about books. Like if that's where I kind of got this recommendation, it has become like a part of my fabric. And I, I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. I can't go back to it enough. I find myself rereading it constantly. And there's a, there's a few different reasons for this. When I first stumbled upon this book, I was not even on the woo spectrum. I was super, super skeptical. I was into all the data and the science. I wanted productivity. I was success hacking. I wanted everything as quickly as possible, like in complete overindulgence of success and money and, you know, like all of that capitalism stuff. And I was really, really struggling because I had a hell of a lot of ambition. I can only imagine I was in burnout since that was essentially most of my 20s and 30s. (laughs) I was either like in burnout or hibernation and then working to a place of burnout again. And a woman in what was an like totally dominated male industry. So I would often find myself as the only person, the only woman in the room, 
the only woman on the bus, the only woman at the table. And I continually felt like I didn't deserve to be there for a lot of different reasons. And we commonly refer to this experience as imposter syndrome. Amy has is a social scientist and she's done a thick ton of research. And so this book, which I adore, if I had one, it's not a complaint, but just know it's beefy. Like every single sentence is backed up with like 10 studies that defend it. Now, that said, this is why this book resonated so heavily with me because at the time I hadn't I hadn't even started my spiritual journey. And so like mantras and meditation and positive thoughts felt like a whole bunch of fluff and make-believe and something for like the yoga teachers and the optimists and like the trust fund kids, right? So when I read this book, not just similar to Creative Confidence, I got an immediate validation. I mean, firstly, like acknowledgement. There's a reason you feel the way that you do. And also validation. What you're doing is working. And I think for a lot of you who listen to this, that's what I hope you take away is there are very, very simple things you're probably already doing in your day to day. They might not feel big enough to create the change that you desire to alchemize those dreams into reality, but it is actually in that incremental iteration, that daily practice, these tiny, teeny, almost unnoticeable changes that the growth occurs and that you change your entire experience, life, people, resources, and approach. So that's why I love and reading <laughs> and why I called it the Quantum Business Book Club, because this knowledge isn't my own. I am interpreting it and sharing it with you because it affected me on such a cellular level. It allowed me to transport and be in a completely different space simultaneously and create wildly different results immediately just by simply allowing it into my experience. So with that little Quantum Business Book Club presence, big app. Let's get right into it. This again, like I said, super, super beefy. I've actually linked to the TED Talk. So Amy Cuddy did one of the very first TED Talks when TED Talk was still just like, you know, a TED Talk. There wasn't TEDx or like the millions of iterations that exist now. And it is still described as one of the most watched TED Talks of all time. I don't know if that's true or not, but this was a really great example. This is going to be a little sidestep because this is something I'm playing with a lot right now. You can't plan on that thing that's going to happen that you're creating in this moment that will change everything for you. You can't know what your greatest success is going to be yet if you haven't experienced it. And with these like iterative incremental creations, the every day showing up and just saying, I believe. I don't even know what I believe in, <laughs> but I'm going to choose to believe that something amazing is around the corner. She recorded this TED Talk and it changed her entire life. This was kind of like a Brene Brown character in the sense that this was a woman who was stuck in a lab. I don't want to say stuck. That's my own. <laughs> that is my own judgment. She was obsessed with science. She was obsessed with data. She was, you know, in the books, in the lab, in the studies, doing what a scientist does best collating data and creating meaning from that data and ideally new thoughts and new theories that would be impactful and potentially change our way of engaging in the world. She was asked to do this TED Talk and it quickly gained millions and millions of views. This positioned her as an expert she did more talks, she started traveling around the world, she became a beacon and the darkness for women, for people experiencing imposter syndrome, as she actually evolved the understanding, and how to create confidence, how to create power, how to create agency in your experience, especially if you feel like you've never had access to any of those understandings or skills. So obviously I deal with, I mean, I, myself, let's start with this little I was going to say this little story, this little disaster. 
I've put myself in terrifying situations over and over and over again. I was talking about this with my friend Charles from Queen City Healing Arts. You know, we we often get to sort of play with this concept of privilege and access and he helps me reframe it in the in the sense of agency. I don't know if it's just because I've been a full-grown human since I was 10 years old or precocious as fuck. I have always kind of understood like you fake it till you make it. Like you put yourself in a crazy situation and pretend like it's exactly what you designed. And then at some point you forget that you're faking it. Now, Amy Cuddy has a much more elegant way of putting it. And I mean, far out, this book is so quotable. Like I actually had a hard time trying to figure out what am I going to talk about with you guys? Because it would have been like a 10 hour episode. But the, the quote you will often hear me say in reference to her is, fake it until you become it. And Charles, bless his heart, gave me permission to understand this as agency, as a space I have always taken (laughs) with or without permission and empowered myself to step out and kind of knowing when I, I take up too much space, I get told, don't you worry, everybody lets me know. And I've definitely struggled with that. I've shared the story of when I very first moved to Australia and my faking it till I became it. People told me that I was the most obnoxious person in the world. They fucking hated me to never want to hang out with them, like never ask to hang out with them again, et cetera. So that, you know, real ego check, I was taking up too much space out of out of insecurity, out of overcompensating, out of being fucking miserable. So and we'll kind of get to that, what, like what's happening there from Amy's perspective in, in terms of presence. But when we can understand, it is by making ourselves uncomfortable that we experience growth. You know, you're going to try something new. You're going to go somewhere new. You're going to hang out with somebody new. You're going to study something new. Like it's by doing something different that we expand that new is going to feel very uncomfortable. And the less we do of it, the more uncomfortable that it is. And our brain will tell us, stop, this is uncomfortable. You are in danger. You might die. Now, obviously, that's like an over-exaggeration of what's happening. But it is through presence, not to be mixed up with power, because I think I certainly misinterpreted the two, But it is through presence where we can start to witness our own thoughts and potentially our own feelings. I actually got into an argument with a friend about this who was like, we're feeling bodies who think. And I was like, yeah, fair. But also emotions can become a habitual response and deciphering, discerning between the discomfort and a feeling and a thought or even an intuitive hit and like truth, at least truth in that moment, is all about presence. Presence is like if you were to say, you know, intuition, thought, feeling, truth, and think of them all as as rings. Like to me, presence is where they intersect, where they overlap in that Venn diagram. There are a variety of ways one can not just experience presence or express presence, but according to Amy, induce presence. So she defines presence. And I should just like full disclosure, I'm probably going to butcher the fuck out of this. Like I I have this book on a Kindle now, but I remember when I bought it being like, whoa, dude, I think it's like four or 500 pages. And most of it is like scientific data studies and stories shared from these particular research experiments. It's probably like a very kind of weird way of putting it. But so I am summarizing here. I'm definitely not directly quoting. So Amy defines presence as the state of being attuned to and able to comfortably express our thoughts, our feelings, our values, and our potential. And so like to distill that even further, it is like the comfortable expression. So again, there's a lot that that comes into presence. First and foremost, nonverbal communication, how our body is expressing ourselves. There are also the thoughts that we're having and the challenges we experience and how our body, how our emotions, how our thoughts respond. So with that, she explores firstly, what is presence? Then talking about your own story. In order to convince others, we must first convince ourselves. This is where presence becomes integral and understanding. What is it that I want? What is it that I'm experiencing? And therefore, 
what do I need to do or who do I need to be or like what thoughts can I choose or what emotions can I embody in order to really marry these different understandings, these different perspectives. Oftentimes, the way that we show up is pretty automatic, right? Like we're, we're not all that conscious of it, especially in our day to day, but like especially, especially when we are taking on too much. Not, I don't want to say like taking on too much like a judgment call, but you know, those days where you like wake up and before you can even like kind of be like, mm, I'm waking up, you're like, oh, fuck, I got to get up. And you like you're moving as quickly as you can through what is a pre-programmed day so that you can get it all done and you get to the end of it and you lay down in bed and like the weight of your physical body is so heavy. It's just, I don't even know if it's a feeling of gratitude or just sheer exhaustion before you like go to sleep and, and do it all over again. That's like the opposite of presence, right? So this exploration of like what is presence in our experience and how Presence begets presence. And so with a lot of this, it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so once we gain awareness around it, and once we kind of start to harness what it is that we are and what it is that we are creating, we can then address the challenges. So then she kind of gets into like the, the deserving and the worthiness, the powerlessness a lot of us experience. And I think everyone can relate to being powerless. It might show up as a dominant experience for some of us. Like it might feel very externalized to some of us. And it might be much more acute in the sense that we feel powerless in a particular relationship, or we might even just feel powerless in like an exchange or conversation that happens in our day to day. But what happens when powerless shows up and how that can inhibit or release our ability to be present imposter syndrome. That's a huge ex exploration of this book. And I know the first time I read it, that is what I took away. The prevalence of imposter syndrome and, and Amy evolves this concept into imposter phenomenon. I'll get into that. But it's like <laughs> this feeling of powerlessness is so pervasive. They actually came up with like a syndrome for it. So after we kind of get into like the weeds of, of what the lack of presence feels like and how it affects our lives, she starts to change, switch gears. So from here, she talks about all of the scientific data defending the power we can induce in our bodies, in our movement, in our thoughts, and how our parasympathetic nervous system responds in certain situations and how we can actually induce a much more conscious state of being so that we are then able to choose how we're engaging in our environment, even if we're having an autonomic nervous system response. She gets into a little bit of like how to's and again, it gets it gets pretty, uh, there's, there's a lot, there's so much here. You could absolutely just kind of turn to any of these later chapters and be like, oh, maybe today I'm working on a power stance or maybe today is all about a positive affirmation or maybe today is just noticing how I feel in a particular conversation. Then she, you know, gets fairly prescriptive in terms of the data and how the data supports particular ways of creating power and presence in our experience. Because, and, and again, this is a distillation, but essentially, if you can dramatically pause, is the way that Amy puts it, but essentially just take that step back, take a knee, take a beat. <laughs> you can create a power stance. Now, I interpreted that the first time I read this as like a very physical, you know, hands-on hip, like hero stance. It can really just simply be like Brandy from This Plus That talks about how they have a playlist that they listen to in the morning and they run around their house in a, as a crazy person acting as if the thing that they are working towards, their biggest, baddest dream just came true. And I don't actually know how long they do that for, but that is their morning routine. That would absolutely qualify as a power stance. And then from there, once we have dramatically paused, taken our power stance, we literally draw in energy and strength and step into our presence. So that's the kind of overall summary. And I can remember the very first time I became acutely aware of this. When I first moved, I mean, I, like this wouldn't have been when I first moved to Australia. This is, this is when I first started making friends in Australia, which took like a year. <laughs> I was invited to 
a New Year's Eve party. And for anyone not in the Southern Hemisphere, New Year's Eve is the height of summer. It's like a completely different experience than when you're battling freezing temperatures and short skirts and (laughs) black ice and fancy shoes. I was so excited to be invited. And it was by people I had met at a gig, actually in the bathroom, you know, one of those moments where you're like putting your lipstick on in the bathroom mirror and the girl next to you compliments you. And then like 20 minutes later, people come into the bathroom wondering if you fell into the toilet. So I became fast friends with Claire and she invited me to this New Year's party. And I just I was so excited and she was dating this guy named Byron. Well, yeah, I don't need to use make-believe names. She was dating Byron and he was in the super cool fucking band and everybody at the party was going to be all these band people and I couldn't wait to go and I like caught the bus there by myself. I was as dressed up as I got at the time, which meant I was wearing a black band shirt and a black skirt (laughs) and I had probably done my hair. And I opened the gate and one of the things that I don't know, I don't know if this was just my own experience, but I was continually surprised about how close everybody was with their families. So I thought I was going to this like super cool kids club New Year's Eve party and it was just going to be a bunch of like bands and and, like people my age essentially. But I opened the gate and I walk into this garden and it's kids to nanas and pops. Like it's the whole damn neighborhood. It's all of the people I expected to be there. And also it felt like everyone they'd ever been related to, everyone they'd ever gone to school with, and everyone had knew each other intimately. And I, like, they all kind of turned to look at me and none of them would have even known who I was. And in that moment, I can remember almost like blinking my eyes three times and saying, you're going to have fun. Everybody here is going to love you and just act like, you know everybody. Just pretend. And I took a big smile, walked up to the beverage table, got a soda, (laughs) and turned to the person closest to me. And I said, you know, introduced myself. And it was probably a couple hours later when I was genuinely having the best time And I looked around and I thought, this is so fucking cool. I forgot. Like, I don't like I I forgot these people aren't my friends. And now they are all my friends. And I have like a crew. And I literally just made that happen. And I'm like hanging with nans and pops, which I've never done before. The fact that I was able to not just enjoy myself, but like other people were also enjoying me because I had turned off this hyper obnoxious, overly confident, quite frankly, like super American persona and just, you know, introduced myself and was humble and asked a lot of questions and expressed gratitude in being there. Like it just shifted everything. And that taught me fake it until you become it. And from that moment, it changed everything for me in terms of how I was engaging in Australia. And I'll, I'll get to round two of this story. But it's the incremental changes that Amy talks about at the very beginning. We might not think that these simple shifts, a, a switch up in thought process, just pretend, just try it. Do something a little bit different. Put a smile on your face. Act confident. If someone had told me that just by simply doing that, I would change my whole fucking life, I just wouldn't have believed them. I don't even think I could have heard them. And I, I think I've been joking around. I mean, I know I've been joking around a lot about this, but I don't I don't know if I've done it on the podcast yet. But the last couple months slash my whole damn life <laughs> has been challenging. And I joke about it with my partner and say, like, I'm so grateful to the universe for giving me these opportunities to grow. It's great. Meaning like, oh, shit, that came out of nowhere. I could be triggered as fuck by this. Instead, I'm going to look at it as an opportunity. And even if I am gritting my teeth and telling me this is good, at some point that actually happens, right? And what Amy suggests is it's in these moments where we feel triggered, where we feel insecure, where that fear starts to creep in, that we can look at these difficult experiences as a chance to reveal what we are capable of. 
And it is in every single moment that we can create this incremental change to become everything that we desire or to experience everything that we desire. And I just, I don't know, I find that so fucking empowering. Like even just saying, I just feel this wash of like, ah, it's so much easier than, you know, the fucking, I don't know. It just can feel like a lot of work sometimes. Maybe that's just me right now in this moment, just being fucking real. But when we don't have to plan it, we don't have to work on it. We don't have to try. We just get to be. And every single moment gives us another opportunity to be whatever it is the fuck we want. I needed this so much because she backs this up with data. I needed all of the data and the studies. I needed all of the proof. I used to use all of the data and the studies to back myself up, to prove myself. Then I, I think I was proving my, I was proving it to myself as well as to others. I'd like to think I've moved past that because I know what is true to me now. And I also am willing to completely let go what was true to me then, even if then was five minutes ago. <laughs> so this book was so fucking resourceful because it told it like gave me the proof that I needed that I could just pretend and then I I would be that. And that was so much easier than trying to get all the courses and the certifications and network and create opportunities and sell and be this business owner and find this money and blah, blah, blah. It was like, just pretend you are those things. And honestly, I kind of became that without a lot of awareness. It created a lot more space for me to actually do the things that needed to get done rather than trying to be the things I didn't know how to be. One of the criterion is that the right word? Like the galvanizing, compelling aspect of presence is that it is, and this is Amy's, again, my interpretation of how Amy would describe it. It is a, the most honest and powerful connection we create with ourselves. It is through presence that we know, like, this is good or this is bad. And if you've worked with me or listened to me for more than five minutes, I kind of think everything is just simply about, does this feel good? keep going. Does this feel bad? Stop. So with presence, we can really start to tune into that good or that bad. And with presence, we know the difference between bad, like hurtful, harmful, threatened danger and bad, like, oh, this is past behavior, past interpretation, past data that my logical mind is collating and interpreting, but it's not threatening in the way that it would have been. And again, in this moment of presence, how do I want to show up? The thing about this book is that I interpreted the proposition of this book as you can't induce presence. Presence is something you call on whenever you need to feel whatever you want in order to get that thing done. It is how we move through our world and through our experience with compassion because it's like whatever our brain is telling us or however we're emotionally reacting, with presence, we take that pause. We can stand strong in our own like body without having to just react the way that we would have prior. It's like the idea of like how you pour from a full cup, how you resource yourself for first before helping others. I was talking with somebody, this is someone who like, we want to work with each other and it just hasn't been the right time. And she left me a message today just thanking me for giving her the space to be exactly where she needs to be without judgment. And although I likely have an opinion about it or advice about it or could challenge her, I'm just allowing her her experience. And that's not something she gets from a lot of people. And it was just refreshing. And she's like, you know, maybe I could be moving faster. Maybe I could, you know, with my, it was obviously like a business situation and, and establishing a bigger business and scaling. And she was just like, you know, I get to, I get to learn, I get to experience that for myself. And I didn't know that that's what a coach can do, but it's like this really subtle space that I have now that I didn't have before. And I think like with presence, it's almost like we're, we're trying to co-create this place of understanding, understanding for ourselves, understanding for each other, understanding for like the collective at large. And 
saying almost like, I don't know what's best or what's going to be perceived as best, but it's in that unknowing that I can stand here and tune in and allow this situation to kind of unfold. And whatever's going to happen is probably going to be the best outcome for everybody. Now, when we're not there, there's probably a few things going on. Trying to take on too much. I think we just do it like innately. And this isn't just to like, I like saying yes to too many things. This is like energetically, like being worried about people, being worried about the state of the world, being worried about the political situation, being worried about if you're doing enough or if you're not doing enough or that thing that you said or the, you know, being worried about like a, a relationship that ended however long ago. Like there's so much that we're kind of trying to continually process that it doesn't leave us with a lot of capacity for like this present moment. And it's when we are distracted by thought, by feeling, by others, by the external, that we lose our presence. This is when we betray ourselves. And I, that's like a pretty loaded way of saying it because I think it shows up so subtle. And my favorite example of this, which was pointed out to me by Lindsay Mack from Terror for the Wild Soul, is like our thoughts can be our biggest predator. Your logical mind, intelligence is literally looking at past data and past experience and drawing conclusions. And that is a very valid way of thinking and making decisions. Do not get me wrong. That said, you will be continually repeating the past with that approach. And so recognize that information for what it is. And then also you have a choice. You always have a choice. That's what presence gives you. If your thoughts feel judgy, if your thoughts feel shameful, if your thoughts are telling you that everyone is out to get you or that the world is a hideous and horrible place, like all of that, again, like, does it feel good? Does it feel bad? It is so easy to believe our thoughts. They feel like fact. They feel like capital T truth. And they may have been right up until this very second. Presence gives you the opportunity to go, okay, what truth shall I create now? The questions that I always like to sort of propose, especially like, cause I, I'm a thinking, my, I go to my thoughts immediately. Feelings are like this like secondary piece of information that I use to layer over for processing. But what if this isn't a problem? What if this is exactly what's supposed to happen? That's where I can really step into that trust and that intuitive knowing. Because intuition isn't judgmental. Intuition might alert you like this isn't for you in this moment. I think that's fair. And it's, I mean, it's not for me to tell you what's like fair or not fair with your intuition. I just, I watch and hear so much intuition dressed up as trauma. And even if it's not ours. It's fucking complicated. This is where presence shows up, right? This is where presence becomes the pivotal point for you and your experience and how to create, how to have choice, how to have agency wherever you're at. Because like the, our intuition and our emotions, our thoughts, like they're all pieces of information and you may choose whatever ones are going to be useful to you in this moment, not the last moment, not the wish, shoulda, woulda, couldas, whatevers. It's like, what are you trying to create here? What are you hearing? What story are you telling yourself? How is that going? How is that playing out? Like, how does that feel? So by believing and owning our story, by first things first, just kind of taking ownership of this narrative, that's where presence starts. This is like, this is where positive affirmations, which were something that quite honestly also changed my life. But at the time of reading this book, I wasn't there yet. And I thought they were a bunch of bullshit. Amy has all of the studies and data to back up how truly transformative positive affirmations can be. And essentially what they start with is this narrative, owning your narrative. Who do you want to be? What do you want to tell yourself so that you get out of bed? so that you step into that place of fear, so that you have that conversation you don't want to have. And they can be super, super simple. But, the, but both the data, my own experience, and hopefully your testing and implementation and experience will show 
that when we have a couple of affirmations or mantras or just these these thoughts that feel really fucking good, these words that remind us how we are showing up so that we can be who we want to be, it is the first step in actually creating that presence, that power stance. When we feel powerless is when we can't have presence. When we are powerless, we then move into protection, which is a completely different thought space and experience for like just for us, right? And so, and like this, this one hits me really hard because I can so often show up and, and like it's taken me years to fucking grow awareness around this. I'm defensive on a level that shows up like logical, like confidence, like masculine energy, like leader, like a leader can be. And it's only when I tune into like, am I feeling insecure? Am I feeling triggered? Am I trying to compensate for something that is out of my control? That I can like shift what might appear to the outside observer as exactly the same, like body language and tone of voice and words, but it's going to feel completely different. So the round two story is when I started calling it my self-induced professional development program. And I was ready to really start meeting people in the industry and music that I felt like could be a leg up for me, not just my peers, not just the, you know, the artists and, and other like industry professionals that I was working with, but like I wanted to, I wanted to quantum leap. <laughs> and so I would start kind of, you know, stalking some people. This was the early days of Facebook and like LinkedIn hadn't really gotten the traction in Australia, but I could I could see where like a bigger sort of UK and um, American industry people were going to be. And I'd see what events they were at. And I do a little bit of homework. And I knew like I wasn't going to talk to that, like the big dick in the room. I was going to talk to like their assistant or, you know, their other like peripheral kind of staff that would also be attending. Right. And so I do my research about the company. I'd think about or I'd look into like, what are they trying to do and who are they trying to work with and how can I help them? And I'd look at, you know, this sort of tier, like I'd try and figure out like, who are these, like, who are these other people that are going to work there? And then I'd think, okay, I want to meet the accountant. I want to meet the agent. I want to meet the production manager, you know, whatever the kind of roles are that I felt like confident, still a stretch, et cetera. And so I started going to these events just with that like presence. This is what I'd like to create. And because I did a lot of that, like I was by myself a lot for most of this industry kind of stuff. And being an American, being in a female, I, I stood out, right? And so I would be going to these different events and just trying to talk to people. And I'd turn around in line. And you know how like you're standing in line, especially these days. This wasn't, this was still when we didn't, we had like smartphones, but they were like Blackberries, you know? And so I'd be standing in line and I'd turn around to the person and say, oh, you know, how about this line? <laughs> They'd hear my accent. And, you know, the, we could engage in conversation. And I can't even tell you how many times I turned to the person next to me. You know, I asked the person standing behind line at the bar if they wanted to drink. You know, I would, but I sat next to someone, I'd like go to a table where I didn't know anybody and ask if it was okay if I sat down. The people that I was trying to call in, or at least like the professional relationship with that particular company, like it was them. And this started to happen enough that I was like, okay, this is fucking cool. And I can remember after years of practicing this and leveraging myself and relationships and learning how to do that and, and coming from a place of how can I help you? Not how can I impress you? Not like who's the fanciest person in the room? Not like, I mean, I wouldn't even, I got to a point where I stopped even like telling people like, I'm a band manager, I have a record label, blah, blah, blah. like I would come up with, I would be like, I'm an alligator wrestler. And they were like, really? And I was like, I mean, tour management, but it's same thing. Am I right? <laughs> so it was really about trying to create an interesting conversation that was entertaining for me, if no one else, and where I could somehow add value to it. And I got, you know, fast forward probably five, six years. And I remember standing in a room kind of having the same like New Year's Eve experience and looking around and being like, I know everybody in this fucking room. And these are the biggest players in this country and also some of the biggest players in the world. And I can't fucking believe it. And I don't even know how I did this. Like none of this was part of a plan. This wasn't something I wrote down in a spreadsheet and started ticking things off. Like this was about presence. This was about 
asking myself, who do I want to be and how do I want to show up? And doing it in a way where I was undefended. And I think that was actually one of the advantages about going by myself to all of these things is I was almost like the abandoned puppy in the room. Like people, I think, literally felt sorry for me. <laughs> and I was like, will you be my friend? And it, it worked. And that helps me really know like when I'm going into battle, I like got to take off that fucking armor. That's that level two energy, that force that comes from lack. We are trying to get control and it will very typically get met by someone who who meets that, who reflect, well, you know, you think you're something like check out my fucking resume. And it's just, it's not, it's not a great exchange, let alone a great look. So it's with that awareness, with that pause, checking in with ourselves, seeing where we're at. Are we feeling threatened? Are we feeling powerless? Are we trying to protect ourselves? There will not, you cannot be present and also protect yourself. It is a, it is an externalized awareness. And I think that's really powerful because when we can get into these discussions, aka arguments with people, when there's a value conflict, it is so easy to very unconsciously, very reactive, step into a place of protection. Whether you're trying to be right or whether you're trying to not get hurt. And I think it's just bringing awareness to like an understanding that from there, you're, you're not present. And that's it. No judgment. Just know like you, you have now sort of disassociated from what could be like this hyperintelligence of the, the thoughts, the feelings, the intuition and the physical knowing of like, is this good or is this bad? Now, from here, she was suffering acutely from imposter syndrome and like a good little social scientist, she started doing the research and she realized that there had been, you know, multiple, multiple studies. And the first dated back to, I believe, like the late 1950s, early 1960s. And a couple of women started to study this phenomenon where a person would feel paralyzed, completely debilitated. And up until that moment, they were being treated for acute anxiety and potentially depression, along with a handful of other sort of psychological diagnoses. And through this original study, it was discovered that this is, this is something different. And it really only shows up. And at the time, they thought it only showed up for women for a lot of different reasons that I'm not going to get into, but I think you know what I'm talking about. And so why these women? Because these women were places they shouldn't have been. They were in postgraduate studies. They were in the medical fields. They were leaders in business. And they were completely on their own. They felt completely unsupported. And they did not think that they could keep this up, whether it was a level of deserving or unworthiness or competition. It was only a matter of time until they were discovered to be the fraud that they truly were. And this psychological phenomenon was so pervasive that it became the glass ceiling. And as these researchers started presenting on this theory. It had yet to been sort of accepted into the diaspora of, of social studies and psychological clinical diagnoses. People started to emerge and men too, but people from all walks of life, people from all disciplines, people from all levels of success, from the most successful people in our society and world to the person who was just simply trying to figure out like, what job they wanted to do and if they could show up to go to work every day. And so in this reflection and as these studies and presentations and research evolved, the conclusion became that th th this isn't an acute issue. This isn't a syndrome. This is actually a phenomenon. And everyone will experience imposter phenomenon, especially if you are pushing your limits, especially if you are ascending to greater and um, higher places. And that simply knowing you will experience imposter phenomenon it allows you to be present. And so that voice, that thought, that predator in your head, or that feeling in your gut, in your knowing that this is fucking dangerous and it is only a matter of time until you get run out of town or, you know, destroyed may or may not be capital T truth. And how do you want to create presence so you may be able to call in a different energy and a feeling of power even when 
and especially when being totally powerless. And I, I think, you know, something that Amy points out is like, we're never going to get rid of our fears. But with presence, it becomes a game of whack-a-mole. And, you know, when it shows up, we're able to just kind of whack it down. So how do we do this? The good news is, is it's super fucking simple and you're probably already doing it. If you're anything like me, you just didn't take it as fucking seriously until you got the data and read the book and saw the TED Talk. <laughs> but hopefully you're a lot more like me now, which is like, oh, fucking cool. Like, I actually do this in a variety of different ways. And I have so many tools in my belt for this. And so anytime I'm feeling this bad, I have choices. I have the ability to call this in. And if you're also anything like me, because far out have my thoughts been telling me like, I don't need to do that. You don't need to meditate. You don't have the space to just take five minutes. They're, they're definitely attacking you. This is, uh, this is a threatening situation. Another little sidestep here. When you find yourself trying to read minds, <laughs> like, I don't, I, like, and this is where I hear like a lot of intuitives and like the woos be like, uh, my intuition doesn't lie. And it's like, okay. And also, like, I'm not saying your intuition is wrong, but what if there's multiple versions out there? Like, what if there are multiple dimensions and multiple timelines? And like, your, like, your energy is big enough for all of it. Like, you could be tuning into a handful of different frequencies here. And you are the tuning for it. Like, your physical body is the determination, the factor, the presence, the radio receiver. And you can turn, tune to different stations. And so if one station is like staticky or is some like, you know, preacher telling you that you're like a horrible, shameful person going to hell, like you can change the station, right? And that's not to say that that information is false or true. It's just not for you in this moment. And with presence, that's when we realize like we are the receiver. And we can tune to whatever channel we want. And it's not really for us to tell someone else what their intention is or what they're tr thinking or what they're saying. And we might have a really, really good fucking idea about that. Like, I, again, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying if you're spending a lot of time and energy trying to read someone else's mind, check yourself. I was working with a client the other day who, this is like in grant applications and in the arts, and she wrote a letter to someone in New York who she's been working with, and they wrote her this letter back. And she was like, I just can't believe he overstepped his bounds like that. He was speaking out of school. He's trying to take over. Like, I just, I know that he wants a piece of this action, and he knows what we've created here in Denver, and he's just trying to bite my audience. And I was like, that, I mean, this was like, she kept going. And I, eventually I did interrupt her, and I said, okay, fair. And I'm not saying you're not right, but like you spent an entire day trying to write an email back to this person. <laughs> like it's a lot of energy. And all you have to do is say, thank you so much for your interest. Good luck with all of those events. I'm absolutely focusing on this, this event. And I look forward to when we can find an opportunity to work with each other in the future. So you're not reading into it. You're not defending yourself. You're not assuming anything. You're just simply saying, oh, that was a lot. This is what I'm here for. Bye. I find when, we're, when we find ourselves explaining ourselves, like we're defending. And, and again, I shouldn't be saying our and we. When I find myself explaining myself, I am defending myself and I am making assumptions or intuiting what someone else is thinking or feeling. And it works out a hell of a lot better for me when I ask questions, when I have presence, when I stay undefended. And it's from there that I can kind of go back to that like idea of compassion and just go like, oh, fuck, like you are like triggered right now. This does not feel good for you. And that sucks. And I'm really sorry about that. Okay, let's neutralize them before. So actually, although that felt like a huge sidestep, that's the first step in creating presence is you got to feel safe. So. What, what does that mean to you? For all of us, that's going to be different. And also in a lot of different situations and a lot of different interpersonal or interprofessional like relationships or different spaces, safe, you know, safe for you in your yoga class is going to be really different than safe for you and the marathon that you're training for with the running group that you're in. And that, I don't know, that was a weird example, but like <laughs> no, no safe, no how safe feels in your body. No, this, the thoughts, I am safe. 
I'm, I am secure. I, I am more than able to resource myself. I have full permission to leave if I need. You know, those are kind of some of the things that I like that, that like permission to quit, walk away or just leave. And especially like permission to be quiet. <laughs> that for me feels like super safe. Then from there, and you'll hear every single person say this, including myself a million times over, you focus on the benefit. So when we're stepping into a situation or a conversation or whatever it is that feels scary for whatever reason, why the fuck are we doing that? I want to grow. I want to learn. I want to get, I want to release whatever tension there is. I want to solve this. Like, why? Why do you want that benefit? How is that benefit going to feel? When you can focus on the end results, especially in creating presence, that's when you are able to go, oh, it's confidence. Because when I feel confident, I speak clearly and slowly. When I feel confident, everyone in the room relaxes. When I am secure, I stop talking too much or using my hands too much. Or I don't do that thing like, <clears throat> or what you know, whatever it is. There's a reason we are trying to create presence. What is it and why? And then finally, the magic sauce that Amy amazingly goes into so much depth and data and detail in is the power posing. So like a power stance, this is where we literally take on a physical reenactment of power. And this is how we not just convince others, but we convince ourselves first of our presence. And I, I think about it almost like, if body language is so communicative, like if it's doing 80% of the talking for us, right? If nonverbal communication is 80% is of the conversation, then the flip side of that means for me to believe this, for me to have presence, 80% of it is just like my physical body and the way that I'm talking and the eye contact I'm making and the hand gestures that I'm using. Like if I'm physically engaging in those activities with awareness, I'm going to feel 80% more confident or more present or more powerful or, or dot, 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 whatever that benefit is that you're seeking. So why be more present? I mean, I'm hoping after this fucking lecture that it's obvious, but the data and like there are like there are literally studies for every single one of these bullet points. But when we are present, we are more open to feedback. We can actually hear that constructive criticism in a manner that feels expansive. So even though someone might tell it, be telling you like, well, this is where you fucked up and this is where it didn't work and this is where you could improve, you're like, wow, thank you. That actually feels good. Now, see how like the same words, and even if that person is a complete fucking dick and giving you feedback that you completely disagree with, with presence, we can see and hear and tune into the opportunity there. Or we are just simply reaffirmed and like, thanks for that feedback. And also like, I'm not going to listen to it. And, and it's not antagonistic. It's like, fuck yeah, I feel even stronger in what I was doing and how I was doing it. Benefit numero uno, open to feedback. We grow, okay? We can be more forgiving. When we have presence, it stops being about who said what or she said, she said, or like all of the drama. It just becomes like, what do we need right now? You need a hug. You need an apology. You need a solution. Like, I'm here for it. Even if I, even if like, it's not my fault, that's like not being present. That doesn't fucking matter. What matters is like this person in front of you or the situation you're in is like not great. And by simply being present and being aware and like expressing that, you shift everything. You're able to take bigger risks. When we are present, we feel safe. Step number one, we focus on the desired benefit and results and we create our power and our energy. So obviously we're going to be able to take on bigger risks. And the data shows you are not just more willing to take on bigger risks, but you're more resilient. So even if, if or when those things fail, like you, you, you know, it kind of goes back to the beginning, like you're open to feedback. You see that as a way of to improve and to grow your muscles and to and like your proverbial muscles. So it like all becomes this like very much like this self-fulfilling prophecy. What also happens when we're present is we synchronize. And I alluded to this a little bit earlier, but we can look at all of these pieces of information, our thoughts, our feelings, our intuition, 
the the experience at hand, you know, the words we're hearing, the nonverbal communication that we're witnessing, the the you know, the electricity in the room, like we're able to synchronize all of that data and then in the present moment co-create the information we tune into. And so instead of using like past patterns and going, okay, let's repeat this, or instead of just leading with our logical mind or even just leading with our heart and our emotions, like we collate all of that data and then in this present moment create something completely new. We become much more proactive with presence. It feels like a battery where we've got this energy, it's renewable, we're plugged in, we're charged, like we're kind of ready to go. We also make faster and more impactful decisions. So with presence, again, we're like synchronizing, we're charged up, we feel safe, we're tuned in. We're taking all information as like constructive, growth-oriented feedback. And so, of course, you're going to be able to just simply make decisions that create the change you desire. And regardless of the outcome, you're resilient. You take bigger risks. Like you, you just become this almost like data <laughs> cruncher. Ugh. We're getting to the end here. Don't worry. Uh, you are also more likely to be successful. And the, like I know, yeah, the data proves, I think she even says it's something like 30% more successful in your lives when you are present. And why? Because when you're more successful, you feel like you have more control. When you think you have more control, you are more calm. Therefore, you are able to stay present even in chaotic and fearful situations, which would make you a better leader, which would attribute to faster, more impactful decision making. Like, and so you can see how all of this stuff like really feeds into it's itself and starts to compound. And it's by simply feeling safe, focusing on the desired benefit and power posing. <laughs> I hope you're all familiar enough with power posing that, but like you think about like hero stance, hands on hips. And, and what's cool about this book is she actually goes into like the social science research they've done on both like primates and animals and humans, but like how like eye contact, like just lifting the chin a little bit and like putting, like turning your gaze just like a little bit upwards. And by like, you know, putting your shoulders back and your elbows back and your hands on your hips, like the physical response you have in your body, like your lungs can hold more oxygen, which means you have more blood flowing and like the chin up, like opens your larynx, which creates more volume in your voice, which is interpreted as confidence. Like all, like there's a million different things going on kind of behind the scenes with this, but that's where like your power stance, which are the thoughts, feelings, and emotions that experience that you're creating. And then you like physically embody that, whether it's by like running around your house like a crazy person, <laughs> listening to the, you know, Britney Spears work, or it's, you know, sitting in meditation and, and quiet space and actually tuning everything out. Like whatever that power pose is for you, by creating that, by practicing it, by calling upon it when you need, you gain presence. Woo! That's it. That's all I got. I'm going to wrap this one up quickly. I did not anticipate that being like a whole hour. I will link to the book. As for always, I've got two different resources for you now, both bookshop.org and Thrift Books, which is an app. This way you can be buying books from an independent bookstore. Thrift Books actually allows you to buy used books as well, which is fantastic. I'm pretty sure bookshop.org does as well. It's just not, and I might be butchering those because I've been talking for a lot. So just look for the link in the shout outs. As per always, I love your feedback. I love your five-star reviews. I love it when you share this. I think a lot of listeners assume that like other people are doing that or they'll get to it. And I can assure you, my friend, I'm looking forward to many more reviews and stars. <laughs> and I mean, obviously, and only if this is a resource for you and useful, please get the book or at the very least, watch the TED Talk. That'll be linked in the show notes below. And just know you are in complete control. And you always have a choice. And I think it's with that space, that pause, we really start to create whatever it is that we desire. You can alchemize your dreams into reality. It is up to you to create the freedom you desire. I think business is an amazing way of doing that. Depending, yeah, I think the anti-business school will probably be, have recently closed its doors, but keep an eye out. Join the loop, which is my newsletter. If you want to stay in touch, it's once a month and it's really just, my like latest musings. I try to keep it pretty personal and intimate since I feel like that's if you're if you're in the loop, you want to stay in the loop. You want 
you want a little bit more that like what, you know, the social media peeps are getting or even even the podcast listener. So uh, you are my favorite. Thank you so much for hanging in there. Like I said, this wasn't a short one, but the Quantum Business Book Club series and, you know, along with the Relatables interview series, they are a little bit longer. And hopefully that's fantastic. Let me know. I would be very open to your constructive feedback. You can email hello at Nicole BZ if you've got any questions. And that's that truly is it. I hope you have a beautiful day. I hope that you feel safe and secure and present and you are creating everything that you ever desired. Love you. 